This episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot. Welcome to The Wrap, a weekly podcast covering women's sports news. Bez, what have we got around the grounds this week? Nina Kennedy shares gold in the pole vault. Spanish football president Luis Rubales has been stood down following an unsolicited kiss of a player. The Aussie sprint kayak and paracanoe team make history, topping the medal tally at the World Champs. For the key story, we'll chat to Georgie Maynard, who's the founder of True North Research, about the data surrounding fans' emotional connection to some of our favourite teams. I'm very much looking forward to that chat. I love the work that Georgie and True North do. I talk about them a lot in, I talked about them in my book and I talk about them a lot when I chat women's sport things in commercial settings because it's really interesting data as, as you'll hear her talk about. And it's a hard thing to quantify when you talk about emotional connection with teams, but I think True North do a really good job of it. Couldn't agree more. Let's take a look around the grounds. In athletics, Nina Kennedy and Katie Moon shared the most amazing feel-good moment of the World Athletics Championships last week. After a long day in the field, both athletes missed their jumps at 4.95 metres. So officials gave them a choice. They could keep jumping and slowly drop the height until a gold medalist could be decided upon or share it. Nina Kennedy looked at Katie Moon and said, hey girl, you maybe want to share this? Kennedy said, I kind of looked at her and the relief, you could see it on her face and you could see it on my face. It was mutual. Love a bit of mutual relief. So good. Um, she went on to say, are you sure you want to do this? Yes. Okay. And so we did. <laughs> and she was like, are you sure? You're the bloody goat, the greatest of all time. Are you sure? And they did it. Kennedy broke two national records on her way to the world championships gold and then after they showed that really special moment, it was kind of bizarre. We saw a little bit of it on our channels, but I think it was probably worse for Katie from an American audience. She got kind of slammed by a lot of people about the fact that she shared a gold medal, which just didn't make any sense to me. And I think there's a real level of ignorance sometimes when it comes to people understanding the intricacies of certain sports. That's why I loved the post that Katie shared on Instagram because she actually described the sport and the way the sport works to prove these trolls wrong. Anyway, she said, to say that I've seen mixed reviews about our decision to share the win would be an understatement. While part of me doesn't want to entertain the negative comments, I would like to help enlighten those that are calling us cowards, shameful and pathetic. That's so horrible. Oh, it's just, again, this is going to be a bit of a theme throughout today's episode, I think, but like, why do these athletes have to prove themselves, have to explain themselves, have to be the ones that poke their heads up and say enough is enough. Yeah. And here she is like defending, being called pathetic. For winning a gold medal for I'm her sorry, country. she's launching herself 4.95 metres in the air on a bendy stick. Like if I look up pathetic in the dictionary, it's not that. It is not that. Brave. It's courageous. It's probably pretty silly. A little bit silly. <laughs> <laughs> um, Katie went on to say she wanted to explain the mentality of her decision. Pole vault is not an endurance event. Once the fatigue sets in, it not only becomes more difficult but dangerous. The sport has seen everything from athletes just landing funny with minor tweaks to horrific accidents. We had jumped an entire competition vaulting for almost four hours in 85-degree heat, 30 degrees Celsius. That's warm. The competition ended and we were exhausted. They've made a responsible decision and they've won a gold medal for their country. 
and she still has to justify herself. Infuriating. Also on the weekend, Mackenzie Little launched the javelin 63.38 metres. That's longer than a swim, an Olympic-sized swimming pool, like by a, a fair bit. I wasn't sure what you were going to say. It's longer <laughs> Nothing 60 metres. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That final round throw secured a bronze medal for Little. She was briefly sitting in the silver medal position before Japan's Haruka Kitaguchi jumped from fourth to take the gold medal with a monster 66.73 metre effort. Colombian floor Denise Ruiz Hurtado was pushed back to silver with 65.47. This is amazing. So Mackenzie Little is in her final year of medicine. She's she's smart. <laughs> You've heard it here first. Because apparently you can do med and not be smart. Is that an option? I believe so, yes. <laughs> There's like a, a beginner's course. <laughs> anyway, she told reporters, I'm meant to be flying home tomorrow morning and I'm meant to be at the hospital at Royal North Shore on Monday. But I hear there's a medal ceremony, so we're going to have to talk about that later. Amazing. I think she's, yeah, she's doing a final year of prac. She said it. I would say that rounds two, three, four, and five, I felt so close, but I felt like something was missing. I kept going back to my coach, Angus McIntyre, on the fence and saying, I needed to get this and this right. If I'm honest, it didn't come together on the six, but I've got more distance, and I'm so excited to show you I have more at the Diamond League final, which is in in Oregon, USA, in September 15 to 16. Great location. And she said, but this is absolutely a dream and the highlight of my career. It's a crazy thing. I watched a bit of those throwing events. You just have to get everything perfect, don't you? Everything perfect. And when it comes together, it's quite a beautiful thing. And it, and it must be so bizarre when it does come together and, you, and the athlete feels it and they're like, what happened? How do I do that again? <laughs> what do I do? Yeah. <laughs> On Monday morning, there was some history made when Eleanor Patterson and Nicola Oleslagas both finished on the podium in the high jump. It was the first time Australia had ever produced two medalists in the one event at a World Athletics Championships. I didn't know that. That's cool. So cool. That Good on them. I It's really cool because I think traditionally and, and probably more so in the track events, we've struggled a little bit to medal, but I think it's really cool seeing the way our field athletes are dominating in things like this and Nina Kennedy in the pole vault too. Amazing. Defending world champ. Eleanor Patterson has made a remarkable return from foot surgery in February where she had a plate inserted in her broken foot. She dumped one meter ninety-nine. I don't know. I overthought it. I overthought the <laughs> reading to put of some the extra numbers. words in there. I don't know why I added the meter in the middle. It just happened. On her first attempt to secure the silver medal, Ollis Lagers won the bronze behind her on countback after clearing the same height on her second attempt. Ukrainian Yaroslava Mahuchik won the gold after clearing 2.01 metres. The Ukrainian athlete was forced to flee her hometown shortly after the war with Russia began last year, shifting to train in Germany. She said after the event, I'm so proud to win this gold for my country. I can't wait to go back and show this medal to my coach. The Aussie team finished the nine-day titles in Budapest with a record haul of six medals, bettering the previous high watermark of four set in Seville in 1999 and equaled in Berlin in 2009. Well done to the whole team, especially the four female medalists. We love to see it. Six medals, four for the girls. Good ratios. Yeah. the girls. (laughs) In football, well, where do we start? It's been a really tumultuous week post-World Cup victory for the Spanish. Um, They were seen partying in Ibiza 
after returning home with the trophy that had a little open top bus parade through Milan, straight off to Ibiza. And instead of spending the next month being celebrated at every bar in Spain, they're having to fight yet another fight with their governing body. Obviously, we've spoken at length about their issues leading into the World Cup. There's been so much written and shared about this bin fire in the last week. We just thought we'd give you a quick little update for those that have potentially blissfully missed out. During the medal ceremony, Luis Rubiales, president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation, forcibly grabbed Spanish player Jenny Hermoso and kissed her on the lips. Hermoso said in a video streamed on social media after the kiss last Sunday that I didn't like it, but what can I do? What followed was a public outcry with many calling for Rubiales to stand down. He fronted a general assembly in Spain and told the mostly male audience repeatedly that he will not resign, saying the kiss was consensual and the issue here was false, false feminists. He was cheered by the majority of the people in that room. It was a disturbing video to watch. All 22 of Hermoso's winning teammates and 58 other Spanish players announced in a statement they would not play for Spain unless he resigned. Hermoso said in her own statement that was issued through FootPro, which is the players' union, that, sh- uh, that she denied consenting to the kiss. She said, I won't tolerate anyone putting in doubt my word and even more so that anyone invents words that I did not say. The Spanish Federation continued to support Rubiales and said they would take legal action against Hermoso. As- astounding. <laughs> but yeah. FIFA announced that Rubiales would immediately be suspended from all football-related activities at national and international level for an initial period of 90 days pending the disciplinary proceedings that have been opened. 11 coaches and technical staff released a joint statement in which they condemned his conduct, writing the undersigned in light of the unacceptable attitude and statements made by the head of the federation have taken the decision to resign from their positions. Jorge Vilda was not included in those 11 staff that have stood down. He has since come out and said that he doesn't support the behaviour, but he hasn't oh, removed himself from his post. Down. Not well, not the last I've seen. Wow, that is a lot. It's a lot to process, isn't it? And we're still waiting for more, obviously. Um, so, obviously, the incident in itself was appalling, but I think the resulting inaction or action and inaction from the Spanish football is almost as bad in a way. Absolutely. Like this was something that happened on the world stage in front of everyone's eyes. You have to take some kind of action. Well, they've chosen to take action against the player instead. Like that's mind-blowing. And I think we spoke about this last night, but the fact that Rubiales is really Hermoso's boss and her superior, it means that there is that power imbalance there. There can actually really – the idea of consent in a relationship like that is is very – fraught and and to be honest i don't think there can be consent when between that when there is a power imbalance like that and so the fact that he said you know she would she consented i'm like she's your employee mate mm-hmm. there are so many issues with that <laughs> so many issues yeah i i just think the sooner the world that the spanish football federation get give him and build of the flick to be honest because it, they obviously seem like best buddies well, I, yeah, I think you touched on before the action in action. None of their response has surprised me in the slightest because we've known for a very long time there were issues there. They've already refused to take action in the lead up after knowing multiple players were not comfortable with the treatment from the coach. And to me, it's just really exemplifies what the federation stands for. And so going back to what we spoke about earlier in the podcast about 
I spoke about. I'm pretty strong on this at the moment for some reason. Weird. There's something in the back of my head that's, that's really nagging on me. But the the fact, again, is that there is female athletes having to stand up in the public eye, take a stand, say enough is enough. And especially these Spanish footballers, they should be not being able to even say their name right now, let alone yeah. making these kind of statements and having to withdraw. There's been some interesting commentary around the treatment of the US women's team on their return to the States, obviously after what they would have deemed themselves a disappointing finish in the World Cup. Heaps of pundits back in the States said that the team's long fight for equality affected their performance and they suggested that the players should just stick to playing soccer. So US soccer player Margaret Midge Perk told media, I think in light of what we just witnessed on the World Cup stage, it reiterates that there is not a space at the moment to just play soccer. You don't think people just want to play soccer? Mm. And it, it, it is. It's, it is. Honestly, we're at that point, just like the Wallaroos last week and so many other teams before them, you know, the players absolutely just want to play the sport. They don't want to have these battles, but here they are again. And the battles. It's kind of ironic, isn't it? This idea of the trolls and the haters saying just play soccer or just play whatever sport they're pointing out. It, the ideal scenario is that would be all you can do. You get paid enough to just play soccer. Gosh, you'd love that when you, you don't did. have to work. You don't have to fight for equality. You mm. just go out there and play the sport. That'd be mm-hmm. real nice. It'd be real nice. In paddling, Ali Bull has won back to back world titles at the ICF Canoe Sprint and Para Canoe World Championships being held in Germany. She dominated the women's K1000 meters race, finishing almost two seconds ahead of her nearest competitor. After the race, she said, I'm really stoked to be able to go back to back in the K1 1000. It's a challenging race and it's pretty cool I was able to do it. I tend to try and not look around when I'm in a race. I just knew there was a bit of a tail breeze on today. I really wanted to go hard from the start. I overcooked myself in that middle <laughs> section, but I was really glad to still be able to come away with a win. I reckon the lactic acid in that event would be horrendous. How often do you get on a, on a erg, like a rowing machine, and overcook yourself after the first 20 seconds? It's all the time. <laughs> and you're like, oh, no. Oh, I should probably stop now. <laughs> Remove myself do at the from this chance. torture device. <laughs> uh on Saturday, dual Paralympian Susan Seeple re- returned to the World Championships podium with a bronze medal in the women's VL2 200 final. The Aussie team, sprint, kayak and para canoe team made history, topping the medal tally and recording the most successful World Championships campaign by the Australian team to date with four gold, three silver and one bronze medal. Paddle Australia National High Performance Director Kim Crane said she was extremely proud of the whole team. We're naturally wired to look at the medal tally and performances as after a critical benchmark event. Our achievements here have been outstanding and it's fantastic to celebrate that. However, what I reflect on the most with great pride is the courage it's taken for this team to be here competing in the arena. When you understand the work behind the strategy, the critical conversations, the big decisions, the commitment, the relentless hours of work, the growth in our people as a whole, and the individual personal challenges that have been overcome by our athletes, coaches, and support staff, then our results here mean so much to us as a group and as a national high-performance program. Wow. Yeah, I know I left that all in because I was just frothing over it's this quote. It's a really great quote. It gets, it's even better. The standard of racing here on the world stage is absolutely cutthroat. We must continue to strive for excellence in everything we do as we're now talking about tenths of a second between placings. Well, except for Ali Bull who won by two seconds because she's a beast. She is. <laughs> 
literally kayak queen. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by The Athlete's Foot, proudly supporting women in sport since 1976. Start every game on the right foot with the right fit. Get fitted in store today or online at theathletesfoot.com for netball, football, running, and recovery. Now that's fit. In netball, the Collingwood Bagpies, this is a bit ironic, isn't it, really? Like they've ended their netball journey in the world, in the galaxy, because Collingwood doesn't love them. Take that back. I'm sure Collingwood loves them. Just someone just didn't think that the investment was returning what they wanted, I believe. But they anyway. I have the energy for that. It's <laughs> <laughs> too, too much. The Collingwood. So they've ended their netball journey by claiming the Australian Netball Championships gold medal in Sunday's final. They won 57 to 55 against the Swifts Academy in Queensland and scored an amazing 20 goals in the final quarter to storm to victory. It's impressive. Yeah. That is coming home with a wet sail. Olivia Wilkinson was amazing in the shooting circle all week converting at 94.5% accuracy across the tournament. She was awarded the MVP for the final and skipper Casey Adamson was full of praise for her team given the kind of bizarre circumstances involved with Collingwood this year. She said after the game, unfortunately we all know Collingwood is no longer next year, but regardless we're super happy and grateful that we got the opportunity to still come here to the ANC Championships and display the talent we have in Victoria. Well done girls on what must have been a really tough period for everyone. In Rugby League, the Roosters made a statement on the weekend running in 10 tries to whack the West Tigers 48-10 to 10 at what? the SFS. It was the biggest win in NRLW history and leaves the Roosters on top of the ladder after six rounds. In the other match on Saturday, the Gold Coast Titans had to rely on an epic last-minute field goal from Lauren Brown to see off the St. George Illawarra Dragons 23-22. to 22. It was a it was a beautiful kick. She drained it. Yeah. Dragons fullback Tegan Berry almost got the Dragons over the line single-handedly, scoring four tries, equaling the all-time record for most tries in a match. Records just dropping left, right and centre, aren't they? <laughs> in AFLW, it's back. We're here. Yeah, it is. Finally, game week. Finally game week. It seems like forever. It's, it has been forever. Well, for you in particular, but it seems like forever in general since AFLW has been here. That's what happens when you only paid 10 weeks of the year. Uh, so Friday night we'll see defending champs, the Melbourne Demons, unfurl their premiership flag when they face Collingwood at Icon Park. The Demons will be looking to go back-to-back, but it, I reckon it'll be interesting to see how they fare without Daisy Pierce, who obviously retired after winning the Big Cup last year. She's a real spiritual leader, isn't she? I believe so. Collingwood will be ecstatic to be welcoming back midfielders Britt Benici and skipper Bree Davey, who both are returning from ACL injuries. On Saturday, there's a huge derby to open the season for the Crows and Port Adelaide. Port have recruited really well and they'll be looking to roll the Crows for the first time. And on Sunday, if you aren't watching the Sydney derby, what are you doing? What are you doing? Honestly, North Sydney Oval, Giants v Swans, going to be massive. I'm excited already. So because you're excited, I've got a couple of questions for you, all right? Here yep, we go. I'm ready. Give us a dark horse for the flag. And you, well, you can say Giants if you want. Yeah, I'm not going to do – I won't be biased. <laughs> I don't know if I'd say dark horse for the flag, but I'm interested to see how Port Adelaide goes. You said I think they've recruited really well. We played a practice match against them. I think they're going to be significant improvers in the comp this year. Right. Player of the season? I'm going to go Jasmine Garner from North Melbourne. I don't think she's in my fantasy team. Oh, you better change Probably that. should have asked you. C. Dalton's my captain. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she is. <laughs> Top goal scorer. I'll go Kate Hoare from the Melbourne Demons. Nice. 
and player to watch? Someone. Uh, this one I'm going to go Giants. Zali Goldsworthy is a young kid and she's just got this real X factor about it. She's exciting. She's had an exceptional preseason and I reckon she's going to be bloody good. Yeah, two votes there for me as well. Watching you guys at, at Blacktown last Friday, the Friday before, I said to you, that seven's legit. She's got some natural flair. Mm-hmm. And 2023 champions. Uh, I'm going to back the D's in again. I just think every season they've managed to maintain their list and haven't been overly impacted by expansion. So I think that's going to serve them well. Great. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) In basketball, the Opals are currently in China playing a five-game friendly series against the world number two ranked nation. It is a young team, given the core of the group, are playing in the WNBA, allowing the Opals to blood some young talent. Game one was on Friday, and after trailing all game, the Opals staged an impressive comeback in the last quarter, narrowing the gap and eventually going down by just five points, 65 to 70. The Aussies continued their improvement in game two with Zatina Okuso huge inside, finishing with 20 points and seven boards. The Opals won 78 to 71 with the victory built on a whole team defensive effort. Unfortunately, these matches are closed scrimmages and there is no live stream or box scores available. I just find that so bizarre. It is quite bizarre because, like, if it's a friendly series, it's different to, like, scrimmages. That's Would right. you not classify that? Yeah, and it is the Opals. It's not as if, like, it's some Australian A mm. team over there. They, mm. They're calling them the Opals. You know, you've got, you've got debutantes over there, you know, pulling on the Opals jersey, Guernsey singlet for Definitely the first time. Definitely not Guernsey. <laughs> <laughs> pulling on the Opal singlet for the first time, I'd be – Filthy if that was my friend or family not being yeah, able to be watch a bit them. Devastated, wouldn't? Yeah, if it was a family I just, member. I just don't. Again, it just comes back to. I'm sure there's a really valid reason, but or maybe not valid enough because I just again, it's 2023. There's no way these games aren't being filmed. It mm. really doesn't take much to set up to a camera, put it online, put it online, and again promote these female athletes. Great point. In some Paralympics news. Monday the 28th of August marked one year to go until the start of the Paris 2024 Paralympics. The co-captains were named for the Games with six-time Paralympic Games Athletics representative Angie Ballard and triple Paralympic canoeing gold medalist Curtis McGrath being awarded the honour. Ballard told reporters, I love this, leadership is looking after that 16-year-old who started a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It's not always easy to speak up and the Paralympics has been a big part of me finding a voice so I feel obligated in a good way to speak up whenever I can. I really like that. Really, really solid from you, Angie. Ballard said she hoped to ensure the Australian Paralympic team members felt safe coming to her seeking advice or to help solve problems. Outgoing captain Danny DeToro paid tribute to Ballard saying, Ange, I love you and I've seen mm. you grow and become this really incredible leader. It's quiet, but, man, do not mess with Angie Ballard because she is a fierce advocate. It's so cool. Also from Danny DeToro, what is she, a seven-time Paralympian? Oof, like, what that's, a queen. That's a big statement coming from her, isn't it? What a queen. I, I really love that piece around leadership because I think as a leader you won't always necessarily echo what every member of your team says when they come and approach you, but the biggest thing, you want people to feel safe when they come and talk to you. So I think it's really cool that she's prioritised that. And that she can, again, we, we grow so much through our athletic and life um, journey, but she remembers being a 16-year-old, you know, mm. and being probably so overwhelmed yeah. by where she was at at that Paralympics. Yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, it's great. Let's take a look at the key story. 
Georgie, thank you so much for having a chat with us today. Can you tell us a little bit more about True North Research and the Emotional Connection Score? Yeah, so we've been uh, measuring the emotional connection to sporting teams and leagues since October uh, 2018. So we've been looking at how our international teams doing, how our um, league teams doing, and what about the sponsorships that are sponsoring those teams? What's the impact on them? Um, So it's been really exciting. We got to 10 waves um, just before the Matildas had their uh, World Cup um, a few months ago. And we've got our next wave coming up in September, October. So that will be really um, interesting to see what happens next. What is it that Football Australia and the Matildas did well in the lead up to the FIFA Women's World Cup? Yes, and what was really interesting for them was to watch how um, they increased interest in watching them and awareness of the FIFA World Cup. The emotional connection score um, stayed, uh, it didn't reach its highest highest score, which previously was in um, April 2020, actually, just after the uh, Matildas had played quite a lot of local um, games in Australia, which is is the big impact. So I, I was, ant- I'm anticipating that in our September October result, we're going to see something similar because the ability to um, engage with the team, uh, you know, face to face, is a is a huge impact, which the cricket team, the women's cricket team in 2020 showed as well. So I think that's um, what's interesting is the Matildas have, before the event, grown interest in the event, increased the potential base, and then we saw that happen enormously when it actually happened. So you've got this biggest supporter base. Um, it's now looking at, okay, so have we now got that strong emotional connection, which we know, we know, we've seen all the evidence, we know that it's going to be a really strong emotional connection. So I'm looking forward to seeing um, the actual score itself to see how far it's increased itself um, in the last six months. What do the Matildas need to do post FIFA Women's World Cup to maintain a high score? And is it just about continuing to perform and win games? Uh I I think there's quite a lot of impact for women women's sport that has success like that. Um, uh, you know, for just just to say, I was quite gutted by <laughs> the Matildas, and then the next day the Lionesses results. So it was like two teams losing. But what I would what I was really loving about the results is the impact it had on people who were passionate about these teams and seeing what it meant for them in terms of, you know, there's a local women's uh, girls sports team. And I think that's the next step is making is is getting strong support um, around those uh, young girls that were already playing, which we know exists, but to compete maintaining that that audience among girls and boys playing football and ensuring that support is, is maintained because you're going to have an absolute peak right now. Um, it's maintaining that or at least maintaining a high score over time. And a lot of the Matildas um, play in Chelsea, at Chelsea or Arsenal, um, which, uh, you know, is a long way from home. So it's ensuring that that connection is maintained and ensuring that the, the communication in the media um, maintains that coverage. So you know, there's you know there's the local level of, of people participating in the sport. There's the media. There's the coverage. There's the one-on-one interactions with these individuals. So there's lots of um, components to the next step to keep that emotional connection um, with all the people that you built it with enormously over the last few months. 
what can other teams like the Wallaroos, who we've talked a lot about on our podcast, preparing for the 2025 Women's Rugby World Cup and the 2029 Women's Rugby World Cup, which will be held in Australia, learn from teams like the Matildas and any other sporting examples? Yeah, I think the Wallaroos, it's, it's, I think there's a real potential for them to build their emotional connection. I mean, partly because they haven't got a, mo- a strong emotional connection at the moment compared to some of their other international teams. But the example of the Rugby Sevens um, women's team demonstrates how much potential there is in the world of rugby. Um, and the other thing that's interesting about this audience is that the audience that they engage are... Um, much more uh, they're much more likely to uh, engage with their sponsors so Wallaroos and Rugby Sevens sponsors will really benefit because this audience um, over um, the demographics are reflective of the ones that are most likely to engage with sponsors so really what I would be doing if I was Rugby Australia is I'd be proving the dem- the results from this because you're you're talking to a much younger audience that engages with Wallaroos and, and Rugby Sevens. Demonstrate that by sponsoring you're you're getting um quite a good impact as a brand or very good impact as a brand. You know, you're more likely to you know Wallaroos and um see very strong results around uh those outputs of sponsorship. So um consideration, usage, uh sentiment towards the sponsor. So that means you've got an opportunity there to engage sponsors, get them to invest in you more. Then you can engage in what the FA have been able to do over the last uh, few months um, and years, but is to put some of that income back into the players, the uh, the, the matches that you play, looking at how you can do more um, local matches because the Wallaroos um, had, a bene- had a benefit to their emotional connection score. When their, um, their playing of rugby really increased in 20. 20- 2019 they were they upped their their local um um, playing of the of the tournament of their matches and so uh we're seeing that uh as well um when we've seen that for Matildas in in 2020 so we know that playing more matches locally has a big impact on emotional connection so you want to do that and you can and you can only do that if you are investing in your in your or your women's team um so that's really the conclusion around it why should brands invest in women's sport? Brands have got a great opportunity with women's sport because we've been looking at the success of sponsorships um, in every in every um, benchmark that we've run since 2018. So for each team, they've got up to 16 sponsors that are being measured. And over the years, we consistently see that if you invest in sponsoring a women, uh, a women's team, that the awareness of your sponsorship is going to be the same as awareness of a man's sponsorship, a men's team sponsorship. But what you see is after that, consideration usage of that sponsor has increased. So you've seen a really strong impact uh, impact on you, your brand in terms of sentiment, usage, consideration. So they're definitely um, providing great results for those sponsors. And the dollar cost per thousand positive reactions, again, we often see that women's results are you're spending less than a thousand dollars to get a positive reaction from a women's team. And often you're spending way more um, than a thousand dollars per every positive reaction sentiment that you have. So, you know, there's definitely a strong case for 
sponsors for sponsoring the women's teams. Thank you so much for your time today, Georgie. As you know, I tell you all the time how much I love the work that you and your team at True North Research do, and, and we really love sharing the statistics and data on our channels at the Female Athlete Project because I think it's so important that this information gets in front of the people that need to see it. Thank you so much again. It's an absolute pleasure, Chloe. Always love to come on and chat to you about sport. <laughs> Let's take a look at what to watch. The US Open starts on Tuesday morning Australian time. Aussie Olivia Gadecki will make her US Open debut after successfully qualifying for the season's final major in New York. You can watch all the action on the Nine Network and Stan Sport. And as we said, AFLW is back. I'm pumped. Round one is this weekend. And if you're in Sydney, you need to be at North Sydney. There's no excuses. There's no, oh, it's Father's Day. You know, it's fine. Bring your dad. Bring your dad. Great. He'd love that. Yeah. So get there, support Chloe, put some orange on. She'll be wearing the orange or the charcoal. I reckon the charcoal this weekend. Oh, I never saw Because you're playing the red and white. I hope so. It's I like great, the charcoal. It's a great jumper, isn't it? It's a nice one. Um, for the GWS Giants in the derby against the Swans, the match starts at 3.05 p.m. And if you aren't in Sydney, you can obviously catch all the AFLW this weekend live free on the Seven Network, on the AFLW app and on Fox Co. There's really no excuses. In NRLW, second place Newcastle face fourth place Canberra on Saturday in our nation's capital. Kick off at GIO Stadium is 11.05 a.m. And with only three rounds before finals, this one could have a huge impact on the final spots. Watch live on the Nine Network and Foxtel. And that's a wrap. Sorry, I just got a bit sniffly. It happens. It's because you're sad it's over. I am sad it's over. <laughs> every every Monday. Every just... week. And we're done. Well done. Wrapped. See you next week. See you next week, friend. (laughs) Bye.